to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 2, as we follow along with today's lesson. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. Many abiding places. Now, just what is meant by this is is a matter of theological discussion. Uh, I would like to just give you sort of a possibility. This isn't doctrine. This isn't... uh, you know, we're not going to write any uh, treatises on this. But I think that we have made a mistake in thinking of mansions uh, like something in Beverly Hills uh, with swimming pools and manicured yards and so forth. And, and that's usually our idea of a mansion. Um, seven bedrooms, five baths, and, you know, countryside kitchen and this kind of thing. I think that in our new bodies, we're not going to require sleep. So why would we need bedrooms? Um, I don't think he's talking about some little cottage down the path or some big mansion down the path. Many abiding places. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Paul the Apostle in his second letter to the Corinthians chapter 5 said, we know that when this earthly body, or this earthly tent rather, The body in which we presently live is dissolved. So he likens this body to a tent. We know that when it is dissolved or when this body goes back to dust, the component elements that make up our body, that we have a building of God not made with hands that's eternal in the heavens. Now, this building of God that he is speaking about is the new body that I'm going to have in heaven, the new heavenly body. You see, the Bible teaches that the real me is not this body. The real me is spirit, and I live in this body, which this present body is a tent. When you think of a tent, you never think of a permanent place to live. You think of a vacation, and it's good for a couple of weeks, but oh, it's so nice to get home again and to the conveniences of the house where you don't have to heat the water 
uh, on the stove in order to sponge bathe, but you can get in and take a shower or just relax in the tub. And, and so a tent is good for temporary, but you don't think of it as permanent. You'd think you were abused if your husband moved you permanently into a tent. <laughs> and you would be. So when this tent, temporary dwelling place for my spirit, goes back to dust, I have a building of God, not made with hands, a new body, not with all of the ancestral genetic kinds of malfunctions that are passed down through the genes or weaknesses or uh, tendencies towards different things, but a new body, a building of God, not made with hands that's eternal in the heavens. So then we who are in these bodies, Paul said, we often groan earnestly desiring to be freed from the restrictions of the body, not to be an unembodied spirit, just a essence floating in the universe someplace. But we desire to be clothed upon with the body which is from heaven. For we realize that as long as we are living in these bodies, we are absent from the Lord, but we would choose rather to be absent from these bodies that we might be present with the Lord. So just offering as a, as a possibility, the mansion that Jesus is talking about could be that glorious new body that he's gone to prepare for you. A building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be also. Now when God created these bodies, he created them out of the earth and he created them for the earth. The same 17 elements that make up the dirt outside are the same 17 elements that make up my body. Out of the earth, but not only out of the earth, but for the earth, designed for the environmental conditions of planet Earth. My body was designed to withstand 14 pounds of pressure per square inch. My body was designed to take the oxygen out of this atmosphere, 79 parts of nitrogen, 20 parts of oxygen, and 1% of trace types of gases. But my body's designed to live in this nitrogen-oxygen balance of the atmosphere. You can be glad it isn't half oxygen and half nitrogen because uh, or, uh, it, it would actually uh, slow down your whole body functions. And, or you're thankful that it isn't twice as much oxygen as it is nitrogen. Uh, a nitric oxide, if it were reversed and it was 20 in, uh, of nitrogen and 70 of oxygen, you'd have sort of a laughing gas. We'd all go around uncontrollable laughter. So uh, God designed the body to exist in the environment that we have here on this planet. But he didn't design it for the moon, nor for Mars, nor for Jupiter, nor for any other place in the universe as far as we can ascertain of the earth earthy. Now, God wants to bring me into the heavenly scene. 
What is the environment there? I don't know, but no doubt superior to the environment here. I don't think there's any smog and uh, pollutions. And, And he wants to bring me into that heavenly environment. We may not need oxygen in our new bodies. Just what it is, we don't know. We're the environment of heaven, but you see, God could outfit all of us with spacesuits, pressurized spacesuits with nitrogen and oxygen tanks on our bank, and and maybe uh, if if the city of Jerusalem is only fourteen hundred uh, miles uh, squared, uh, then uh, the gravitational pull would be much less, so we'd have to have a real heavy boots so that we would stay on the surface, you know, and, and, and could keep a regular gait. And, and so uh, he could have, you know, just outfitted us with spacesuits and let us go clomping around. But he, he's got a better plan. He's going to give you a new body designed for the environment of heaven, but I think it's probably a universal design uh, where you can go anywhere in the universe in the new body. Uh, that is just, uh, and even as we've borne the image of the earth and have been earthy, so shall we bear the image of the heavens. A new body, building of God, not made with hands, eternal in heaven. So when Jesus said, in my Father's house are many abiding places or mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I, I believe that when my spirit leaves this body, I'm my spirit's going to move into that new body, that building of God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And there I'm going to be with my Lord forever in the glory of his kingdom and in the new body that God has created for me. So uh, that's a possibility. Uh, and uh, in reading all of the other uh, theories on this, I think it's as plausible as any I've read. Now, if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus is saying, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Now, we're getting to the answer of Peter's question. There was a little digression there uh, where Peter, the second question, well, Lord, why can't I go with you? I'll die for you. Jesus predicted his uh, failure and and denial and then encourages him let not your heart be troubled and then he answers the question the first question where are you going and Jesus is saying I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare that place then I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also so that's the answer then to Peter's question Jesus is going to prepare a place and he'll come again and receive us unto himself. And then Jesus said, and where I go, you know, and the way, you know. I'm going to prepare a place and where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas, now the second question comes from Thomas. Thomas said to him, Lord, We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, this is just a discussion between Jesus and his disciples after dinner, sitting around the table there or reclining around the table, which was uh, the posture in those days. 
And so here he is discussing these things. Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? If we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way to get there? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. The answer of Jesus to the question of Thomas, how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way. Now, this is another one of those radical statements of Jesus that we have here in the Gospel of John. Radical statements that cause the world to hate us by saying that we're too narrow and bigoted. For the world would like to think that all roads lead to God. And no matter what path you take, we're all going to arrive at the same destination. And when we press the exclusive oh, of Jesus, uh, exclusivity of Jesus, uh, they get upset. Uh, and, and they get angry even because we dare to say that Jesus is the only way to God. But when we say that, we're only saying what Jesus said. Now Jesus said this and many other radical things. Things that marked him as a radical Things that are so radical that you cannot ignore and you have to either accept them or reject them. They give you no neutral ground to stand on. Earlier on, he said, I am the door to the sheepfold. Any man tries to enter in by any other way, the same as a thief and a robber. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And if you live and believe in me, you'll never die. He said, I am the bread of life. If any man eats of me, he will never hunger again. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he who drinks of the water that I give, out of his innermost being there will flow rivers of living water. All very radical statements. Statements that divide men into two categories, those that believe and those that don't. When he said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, he that Believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. He then said, Martha, do you believe this? You see, either you believe it or you don't. And if you believe it, then you have the hope of eternal life. If you don't believe it, you really don't have a basis for the hope of eternal life. Just your own imagination. But no real basis for the hope. And so now again, he's making a radical statement that either marks him as the son of God or a deceiver, a fraud, a liar, or a lunatic. 
I am the resurrection and the life. Fabulous statement. Believe it or not. Now, no man comes to the Father but by me. I am the way. I am the truth. <laughs> and, and in an age in which man had despaired of finding truth, the age of philosophy was dying. They had been searching for truth. And, and now a time of cynicism, cynicism had arisen because the philosophers could not agree as to what is truth. So you remember when Jesus was facing Pilate, Pilate said very cynically to Jesus, and what is truth? Because they had become cynical and had despaired of finding truth. And Jesus is saying, I am the truth. I am the way. And I am the life. And no man can come to the Father but by me. Exclusive claims of Jesus. And we dare not try to broaden the path. Lest we be false prophets. You remember in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Few there be that find it. Broad is the way and broad is the gate that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in thereat. Now beware, he said, of false prophets. That's in context of telling you the way is narrow. Beware of false prophets who will tell you the way is broad. They come as wolves in sheep's clothing. They oftentimes have reverend in front of their names. And, and they try to broaden so God is love and He is the Father of all. And, and you know, just think good thoughts and get a good karma. And, and you know, you can be assured of a better life when you come around again. And, and so they, they're trying to broaden the way. But Jesus said, look, no man comes to the Father but by me. He said it. He made that claim. And you either believe it or not. You believe that you can get there on your own good works, your own good effort, your own sincerity in being religious. He said, you can't get to the Father but by Him. Now, you can get to some God, for there are many gods, but you can't get to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And he said, if you have known me, you should have known my Father also. And from now on, you know Him and you have seen Him. Now, that's quite a statement. You know him, you've seen him. And so Philip responds to that one. And Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. <laughs> and Jesus said, have I been so long a time with you? And haven't you seen me, Philip? Don't you realize that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father? How sayest thou then, show us the Father? 
Now, in the book of Revelation, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says he is the true and faithful witness. What does that mean? He is a true and faithful witness of the Father. He came to represent the Father to man, to reveal the Father to man. God in times past spoke to our fathers in various ways through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken unto us through his own dear son, who is the outshining of his glory. So Jesus came to represent the Father. He was a true and faithful witness of what the Father is. And if you want to know what God is, look at Jesus. Now, I think that oftentimes we have a wrong concept of of God because we read of Jesus interceding for us and, and our advocate and all with the Father. But remember, it was God who so loved you that he sent his only begotten Son. And we think of God as sort of aloof and and reluctant to uh, answer our prayers or to uh, forgive us our sins. And uh, it's good that we have Jesus up there pleading for us. Well, actually, God was the one who sent Jesus in order to make a way by which you could come to the Father. And so uh, if you have seen me, he has said, you have seen the Father. So he came. He, and all the way through the book of John, he is insisting, I'm not doing my own will. I came to do the will of the Father. The, what I see the Father do, that is what I am doing. The works that I do, I don't do of myself. Uh, the Father that dwells in me, he is doing the work. And, and so all the way through, he is declaring in the Gospel of John that he is here to represent the Father. And he represents the Father in the things that he is saying. He represents the Father in the things that he is doing. So all of the love that he manifested, all of the healing of the sick bodies, all of the mending of the broken lives, this is the work of the Father, Jesus is declaring. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. So you've known me. You should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Well, Lord, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And so Jesus said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. So believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the very words of well, no, the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you, I don't speak of myself, but the Father uh, that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So both the words and the works were of the Father. I've spoken my Father's word. I have done my Father's works. Believe me that I'm in the Father, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Now again, throughout the Gospel of John, he calls his works to bear witness that he was of God. And he came from God. Uh, the, uh, his divinity. He calls upon his work to bear witness that he is the Son of God. When Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preached to the people that gathered, he said, 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was proved to be of God by the signs and the wonders that he did in the midst of you. The miracles of Jesus were proof that he was of God. When Nicodemus came to him at night, he said, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God because no man can do the works that you do except God is with him. He recognized that. And here once more, Jesus is calling upon his works. If you can't just believe my words, can't believe what I tell you, then believe me for the works sake. And then Jesus said something quite interesting, and it has created a lot of theological uh, debate. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, or to you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and even greater works than thee shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, that greater works than thee shall he do uh, is, is a difficult passage. The works that I do shall he do also. That, that we can accept. When uh, Luke wrote the Acts of the Apostles, he begins it with these interesting words. The former letter I wrote to you, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach from his baptism until the time that he ascended into heaven. But after his ascension... Now he through the apostles is working. So the Acts of the Apostles gives you the continued work of Jesus through the lives of the apostles and the works that Jesus did, you're going to find them doing. They're going to be laying hands on the sick and the sick are going to be recovering. They're going to be praying for the lame and the lame will be walking. Uh, they are going to be praying for the dead, and the dead are going to rise. The works that I do shall ye do also. The, the problem with the text is greater works than these shall you do. How can you do a greater work than raising the dead? I mean, that, that's pretty uh, awesome. And, and it's hard to imagine anything greater than raising the dead. So... The interpretation often is greater as far as number is concerned. Because now instead of just one man, you have all of the apostles going out and doing the works. When Jesus was here, living in a body, he took on limitations. Actually, he was with God, in the form of God, thought it not something to be grasped, to be equal with God, and yet he humbled himself and took on the form of man. In taking on the form of man, in coming into a body, he took upon him the restrictions of the body, and one of the restrictions of the body is in this space continuum where my body fills this space where I'm standing right now. But as my body fills this space, it can't fill space down the street, nor even the space where you are sitting. We each one take our space, and as, uh, who is it, one of the characters, I need my space, I guess. Uh, but 
we each take up space, but the space where we're at at that moment. Now, that's because of the limitation of our body. I'm limited by this time-space continuum because I'm in a body, material body. So you have the three dimensions. Now, Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but you're going to do greater works than, than what I did because, you see, now the, they are going to be spread all over. Paul will be uh, healing the sick in Lystra, causing the lame man to walk. Uh, while the apostles, others of them, will be in Jerusalem. While Matthew will uh, be heading out uh, towards India and uh, spreading out. So greater in that it, it's spreading further because it's not limited to just Jesus in his body. But now Jesus is working through his apostles and thus uh, greater in, in its scope and its outreach. You see, Jesus never went beyond uh, Palestine. He spent his own ministry right there in that one locality. He never saw Rome. He never saw the, the, the metropolises of the world. He didn't see Alexandria. He was right there in that one locality. But when the disciples went out, they went to Rome. They went to Spain. They went to India. Uh, they, they went to Persia. They went to Asia and all. And they carried the gospel. And they were doing the same works that Jesus did. So greater in, in number. Uh, but, you know, they did raise the dead. But, I mean, what's greater than raising the dead? Uh, it's same. You know, whether it's a dead person in Lystra or the daughter of Jairus is still raising the dead. So greater works than these. And then a tremendous promise. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now that's not a carte blank, as you might suspect. James tells us that we have not because we ask not, but then he adds, and we ask and receive not because we ask amiss that we might consume it on our own lust. So Jesus isn't just giving you the credit card and say, go out and charge all you want. Because our nature is such that we would go out and just indulge ourselves with so many fleshly things that it would take our minds and thoughts off of the Lord. We'd be soon so carnal and caught up in material things, we wouldn't be thinking about Him. So notice He said, in my name. Can you ask for it in His name? Is it for His glory? Is it to bring honor to him? And notice that the Father might be glorified in the Son. That's the purpose of God giving it, in order that he might be glorified through the Son. It's to bring glory to Jesus Christ, not glory to you. So you can't go out and pray, God, make me famous, uh, a famous movie star. And, or 
you know, God do something for me like that. He's not talking about things to indulge upon your own flesh or your own desires. And so it's, uh, but those things that are for God's glory, you can have and that assurance, whatever we ask in his name, that he will do, that the Father might be glorified, but it's things to glorify the Father. And then he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, uh, in John's first epistle, he's going to talk about keeping his commandments. Um, And... uh, Jesus is going to speak some more about keeping his commandments here as we move down our text a bit. What are his commandments? Back in the last chapter we read, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you. That's his commandment. Now, When a lawyer came to him and said, what is the greatest commandment? He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and strength and love thy neighbor as thyself. And in these two are all the law and the prophets. All summarized in these two. Love God first and supremely Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the Lord doesn't say love yourself. He knows he doesn't have to command you to do that. (laughs) You do that automatically. Don't deny it. (laughs) Or remove all the mirrors out of your house. If we would take a photograph, wide-angle shot of the whole congregation tonight blow it up and put it on the wall, who's the first one you're going to look for? (laughs) And you're going to judge the picture on how you look. (laughs) That's a horrible picture. My eyes were closed when the flash went off, you know. And so it's not this doctrine that we hear that the Lord is saying, love yourself. It's not a self-esteem doctrine. That's a given. What is tough is to love my neighbor like I love myself. That's what's hard. I do love myself, but to love my neighbor as myself, that takes the help and the grace of God. That doesn't come naturally. Now, these are his commandments. And so Jesus said, if you love me, Keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter. Now, their hearts are troubled. He said he's going away. They can't come. They've learned to depend and trust in him. And so, to their troubled hearts, he speaks words of comfort. I am going to pray. I'm going to the Father. You want to know where I'm going? I'm going to the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. So I will pray the father 
and he will give to you another comforter. Now the word comforter, paracletus, is literally one who, one who is called to come alongside. Cletus is, is to be called and para is, is alongside or, or with. So one who is called alongside. Uh, we don't have any really English word uh, for this paracletus. Uh, it is used in the Greek for uh, when you're in trouble and you call for an attorney. You call for a paracletus. Uh, when you're needing help, you call for a paracletus. You call for one to come alongside of you, and the given is to help you. I'm in need of help, and so you're calling for someone to come alongside to help you. So I'll pray the Father, and he will send someone to come alongside of you to help you. Even the Spirit of Truth, he identifies it as the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. The world can't receive the Holy Spirit. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, Paul tells us. Neither can he know them. They are spiritually discerned. And thus we come to a communication uh, block when we try to share the things of Christ with the world, with worldly people, with people who only think in, in carnal ways. To try and share the truths of God with them is so difficult because the natural man just doesn't understand the things of the Spirit and neither can he know them. Whom the world will not receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him and he dwells with you, para. He shall be in you. The Holy Spirit is going to come into your life. He's going to begin to indwell you. And so he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now, this word comfort is different. I will not leave you comfortless. Uh, that word in the Greek is orphanos. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you desolate. I won't abandon you. I'm not going to desert you. I will come to you. Uh, the word actually is without a father. I will not leave you uh, as an orphan, uh, desert you, but I will come to you. So I'm going to pray the Father, he'll send the Spirit, but I'm going to come to you. And yet a little while and the world will see me no more. He's going to be put in the tomb and, and that's the, hanging on the cross is the last the world is going to see of him. The world will see me no more. But you see me. He's going to appear to his disciples after his resurrection. He'll manifest the fact that he is resurrected by his appearances to the disciples. But he's not going to appear to the world. He's not going to manifest himself to the world, but only to the disciples. And so a little while and the world will see me no more. But you see me, and you will see me, and because I live, ye shall live also. What a glorious hope. Peter said, Thanks be unto God, through whom we have been born again, to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 
to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and fades not away, which is reserved in heaven for you who are being kept by the power of God through faith. We've got a living hope. Why? Because he lives, we too shall live. So the world won't see me anymore, but you'll see me. And because I live, you too shall live. Our hope for eternal life rests upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that makes it more than a hope. It gives to us a living hope because he rose from the dead. And in that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So here we have it all tied up. He's in the Father, the Father's in him, and he is in us. And so we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We have the Father and the Son dwelling in us. And he that hath my commandments, again, the commandment is to love one another and to love God. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So that one who loves him proves that love by obedience to the commandments walking in love for each other and walking in love for him we have the promise that he will come and manifest himself to us and so he is going to manifest himself to the disciples after his resurrection for a period of 30 days he will be Actually, 40 days he will be manifesting himself to his disciples. 37 days, he was three days in the grave. And so Judas said unto him, now he points out this isn't Iscariot. Judas Iscariot has already gone on out. He's left this little uh, setting. He's out right now making a deal with the chief priest. He's out collecting his 30 pieces of silver and, and getting ready to lead the soldiers to the garden where he knows Jesus will be going when they leave the supper. He knows where in the garden Jesus would go to pray with his disciples. So Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now that's, a, that's an interesting question and one that we might wonder about. Why didn't Jesus after his resurrection go to the chief priest and said, oh, okay, <laughs> now you've had it, you know. Uh, why didn't he manifest himself to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if a man loves me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come and make our abode with him. We'll come and dwell with him. Now, he really doesn't answer the question of why he isn't going to manifest himself to the world. And so that leaves it to conjecture. Uh, and people have made many conjectures about that, but uh, that's all it is, is just conjecture. And so as such, we'll leave that alone. He that loveth me not. Now, he that loveth me, 
will keep my words. The same idea. He keeps my commandments. He keeps my words. And as a result, the Father loves him. I will love him. And we will make our abode with him. Uh, Again, let not your heart be troubled. We're going to come and and we're going to make our abode with you. We'll love you. And he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. But the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Again, attesting that it isn't my words. I'm giving you the Father's words. And these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, coming back to this promise, I'll pray the Father. He'll give you another paracletus. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said to you. So the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and he's going to be our instructor. Isn't it wonderful to be instructed by the author of the book? You know, it's to me such a blessing to to have the Holy Spirit open up my understanding to a passage of Scripture. Maybe I've wrestled with it, searched it out in the Greek, and, and, you know, tried to really discover the meaning. What did he mean by that? And and then suddenly the Holy Spirit just gives you understanding and, and teaches you. That's what Jesus said the Comforter would do. In fact, you see, you call him alongside of you. He's, he's one who is called alongside. And so you call for the help of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to unfold the truth of God to your heart. And um, so he'll also bring to your remembrance. After Jesus rose from the dead, then the disciples remembered how he had said unto them, and, and they remembered all of these things after the Holy Spirit had come upon them. A lot of the things that Jesus said went over their heads. Uh, Whenever he would talk about their death, it would just go right over their head. Uh, When he said he was going to rise again, it went right over their head. When, When he died, they thought it was all over. They thought that was the end. When when he was on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples the day he rose from the dead, he said, Oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe. It just, he had told them he was going to rise the third day. And yet they were speaking disparagingly. He said, why are you guys so sad? Uh, You're a newcomer around here. You don't know what's been going on. What are you talking about? Well, there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, he was a real cool guy. And he was going around doing good and, and healing all manner of sicknesses. And we had hoped in him for the salvation of Israel. We thought he was the Messiah. But they crucified him. This is the third day. Oh, some of the women this morning got hysterical. They thought they saw him. They came and said that he was alive. They saw him. But you know what women are like. They get hysterical. And and then Jesus rebuked them. He said, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe all of the things that the prophets have said. Ought not the... Messiah too have suffered and died. And he went on and expounded the scriptures to them and their hearts began to burn as he opened up the scriptures to them. So 
the Holy Spirit then brought to their remembrance the things that he said. And of course, they recorded them for us in the Gospels. And we have other quotations of Jesus in the book of Acts that aren't in the Gospels as the Holy Spirit brought them to their remembrance. And then Jesus finally gives them this beautiful bequest of peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So he sort of comes back to this theme of the troubled hearts. I'm going to give you peace. Don't let your heart be troubled. Be at peace. Let your heart be at peace. I'm in control. I love you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You're going to spend eternity with me. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you. He's going to open up the scriptures to you. He's going to uh, remind you of the things that I have said. My Father and I, we will come to you. We will manifest ourselves and we will make our abode with you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now he said, you've heard that I said unto you that I'm going away and I'm coming again unto you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I said I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. If you loved me, Jesus said, you would have rejoiced. I've told you I'm going away. If you, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I told you I'm going to the Father. The Father, he said, is greater than I. I think of our loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord, who walked with Jesus and are now gone to be with the Lord. Why do we weep? If we love them, we would rejoice because they've gone to the Father. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, you would have rejoiced. I've told you I'm going to the Father. Why should you weep over that? We weep because we're going to miss them. We weep because they have given such beautiful input into our lives. We're going to miss that. They've loved us. They've accepted us. And they've added so much to us, enhanced our lives by their love and by their friendship. We're going to miss that. And thus we sorrow. But we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. But we sorrow because we're thinking about ourselves and what we have lost. And so when we think of what they've gained there in the presence of the Lord. If we love them, we would rejoice. So often when a young person is, is killed in an accident, we say, oh, what a shame. His whole life was in front of him. <laughs> if he's walking with Jesus, his whole eternity is in front of him. Not in the corruption of this world. He's not going to have to go through the, the, the sorrows and the turmoils of this world. If you loved him, you rejoice. My father is greater than I. Uh, a, again, a, a term that does create some theological debate. Um, I believe that Jesus more or less pointed out that he was equal with the father 
he made such statements as I and the Father are one. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And, and throughout the Bible, the, the, there is that teaching of the equality. He who was in the beginning with God and thought it not something to be grasped, to be equal with God. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the Gospel of John in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on Jesus going to the Father. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order John 14 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you. May the Lord bless you. May you be enriched in your walk in the Spirit as you become the light in this dark world, reflecting the light of Jesus Christ in that darkness where you work, where you live, where you attend school. May... God's Spirit work in you as he brings to your awareness those areas of failure, those unintentional sins, that we might bring them to the Lord and confess them to him who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Have you ever had a friend who's not a believer and they ask you a question about the Bible and you're thrilled? Finally, they want to know about God, but then you go blank because you can't remember the scripture that would answer their very question? You're not alone. It happens to me all the time, and I think, if only I had a quick scripture reference that would help me right then and there, that would be perfect. 
Well, guess what I found? Pastor Chuck's Old and New Testament study guides are available to download as ebooks instantly to your phone or mobile device. Now, whenever you need to find the meaning to a scripture reference quickly, you can. Pastor Chuck has written great little Bible commentaries to help anyone come to a better understanding of God's Word. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download the Old and New Testament study guides by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order these books in print, call The Word for Today at 800 272 